So, um, yeah, my name's Susie, and the title of this talk tonight is Undivided Heart. And we're going to be based in Psalm 86. If you've got a Bible, firstly, well done on bringing it. If you haven't, it's going to come up on, on the screens behind me. So we're going to look at this psalm in a bit more detail in a bit. But there's a couple of verses that were up during worship that I want to highlight, and they're going to be the key verses for uh, this evening. So Psalm 86, this is a prayer by King David, says this. Verse 11, teach me your way, Lord that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart, that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. So um, keep, keep that in mind. We're going to be coming back to it loads tonight. But I've got a question for you. Have you ever had a divided heart? I'm kind of talking about a situation where perhaps you're in your pajamas, you know, you're ready to go to bed and your mate texts you and says, hey, why don't you come out? Or I've got tickets to a gig or tickets to a sports match or something. Or maybe you've committed to go to the gym or something and you notice in your cupboard there's a bag of popcorn and instead you're like, maybe the Netflix perhaps would be more suitable this evening. But I thought I'd tell you about a time that my heart was divided. And um, I think I've mentioned before in this context that when it comes to gardening, I'm not necessarily um, that committed to it. I see the garden as an area to sunbathe, not necessarily to do the weeding. And um, so that's the backdrop. But a couple of years ago, uh, I decided it'd be a great idea to turn a bit of the garden, this vegetable patch, into a lovely lawn area. And my mate Jen, she was living with me, and I roped her into it. And I went to the shop, bought this... um, turf, like rolls of turf, got it home with the only intention of just like rolling it out, shoving a bit of water on it. In my mind, it was a 20-minute job. But um, Jen, however, she sort of knows what she's doing a bit more. Is anyone here a gardener? Just to sort of, there's some keen gardeners. Okay, everyone else, you're on my level, you're getting it. But anyway, she was like, Sue's the first thing you've got to do, you've got to get the roots out of all these vegetables. Then um, you've got to level it, and it was like different levels. Then you've got to cut it to shape. Then you have to get these weird planks of wood and, I don't know, do this thing. And then just chuck loads of water on it. Um, it was a bit of a problem because I kind of double booked. And um, I was actually meant to be in Cardiff at the same time. And um, here I was in the middle of what I can only describe as Turfgate. And um, I tried to persuade Jen that perhaps like my half-hearted efforts would be a good idea. Perhaps that would do the job. But um, to my surprise, I got quite a, quite a direct response back from her. And she said to me, Sue, she said, either you stay here and you do it properly, or you go to Cardiff and I'll do it. Good ultimatum. So what do you think I did? Who thinks I went to Cardiff? Okay. <laughs> Who thinks I laid the turf? Thank you. That's exactly what I did. No, I didn't. I went to Cardiff. <laughs> and... Uh, and um, I saw the exit opportunity, I had a great weekend, it was amazing. And I came back, and the turf looked amazing. So, uh, anyway. But, I guess that story, you know, doesn't necessarily paint me in the best light, makes me feel a bit vulnerable, but I don't think I'm necessarily the only person who's ever done anything half-hearted. Check out these photos here. This is from a website called You've Only Got One Job. Here's the first one. Obviously, wrong continent. (laughs) Next one. I don't even know what's going on there. This one, this all, and this is the best one. So, I mean, I don't know whether that was serious, but it is quite funny. And I hope if that person who did that is here tonight, because you could take some top tips. But, but um, anyway, that's all a bit of fun, you know. But being half-hearted, if you actually think about it, 
it's not actually an attractive quality, is it? You know, it's not something that if I was applying for a job, I'd, I'd write as a kind of a skill or a talent. You wouldn't write half-hearted. And um, for me, I'm really passionate about this talk tonight because these two words, undivided heart, is something that I really feel like God has been speaking to me about. And it's just been one of those things that I can't kind of shake it. And um, over the last few weeks, it's been highlighted to me, and Jesus has been like stirring my heart on it again. And um, I went out to India with um, a couple of people from here to visit this charity. We're connected with it. And um, it's incredible to see all that Jesus is doing over there. You know, lives are being changed every day. There's children who are in these slums who are getting an education and healthcare and a hope and a future that they wouldn't if those guys in the charity weren't there. And right at the center of it is a bunch of people who have said yes to Jesus. You know, they're wholeheartedly going for it, and it was so inspiring to see. So when, you know, laying the turf or, or going to Cardiff aside here, I want to get a little bit deeper and ask you the question, what is it that divides your heart in your life, in your day-to-day, in your faith, when it comes to you wholeheartedly following Jesus? You know, maybe you're, you're just here tonight and perhaps you're starting out in your faith, but you're, and you're wondering, could Jesus be real, but you're worried about what your mates might think? Maybe you've been following Jesus for ages and there's this thing that you just can't trust him with and you're constantly wanting to take back control. Maybe it's to do with your identity and you're, you want your identity to be found in Jesus, but you're just so concerned about what people think about you all the time. Perhaps it's wanting to believe the promises that God lays out in the Bible, but constantly doubting. Maybe it's a risk. You know, some of those things might stand out for you. I'm sure there'll be loads and loads. You'd have your own examples too. But I'd love you to keep those in mind as we go through this talk. So what we're going to do is we're going to reflect on these two words, undivided heart, and we're going to try and answer a couple of questions. The first one is why is it that we should have an undivided heart? And secondly, you know, if we should, what are some of the hallmarks of an undivided heart? So we're going to look at that first question. Why should we have an undivided heart? Well, when the Bible talks about this concept of having an undivided heart, it's actually pretty clear. And we haven't got time to go into like heaps of detail about it, but there's loads of times in the Old Testament where God commands his people to, have, to follow him wholeheartedly. And Jesus himself, he reinstates it when he was asked, what is the greatest commandment? Matthew 22 says this, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. And secondly, love your neighbor as yourself. You know, if we stand back a little bit and we think about Jesus, he was so unbelievably wholehearted in his pursuit of us. He gave everything. He sacrificed everything on the cross for us. And what is it that he's asking from us? He's asking everything. You know, he wants all of our hearts, undivided, no compromise, all in. It's in following Jesus that we gain everything, but in following Jesus that it costs us everything. And so the reason we should have an undivided heart is because the Lord longs for it and he's interested in it and he's interested in our hearts way more than he is in you know, what we look like, what we're wearing, what job we do, what people think about us. And I don't know about you, but sometimes for me, just sometimes the temptation is 
to want to present to the Lord the bits of my heart that seem good. You know, the best bits, the bits that seem attractive. But what Jesus isn't saying there, he isn't saying, love the Lord your God with the best bits of your heart. He's saying, with all of your heart. That means with your imperfect heart. And you know, some of us here today, we've got, haven't we, we've got damaged hearts through things that have happened to us in our lives. Maybe we're broken. And Jesus is saying, give me it all. Your whole heart, your discouraged heart, maybe your depressed heart, your fractured heart, your whole heart. Because actually, when it comes to it, that's actually the best thing we can do. Because it's in this process that we give everything over to Jesus that he's able to come and heal and restore us. And so before we move on to look at sort of like what are some of the hallmarks of an undivided heart, it'd be great to just pause here and take a little bit of context towards this psalm. And um, as I said earlier, this psalm is written by King David. And many of you here will know, you know, oh, that's flown out, that's okay. Um, it's a great flyer. Anyway, um, as many of you will know, David is a big Bible character. You know, if you've been following Jesus, you'll hear, hear talks about him, you'll hear him mentioned. But if you don't know much about him, then he was one of the kings in the Old Testament. And uh, he definitely wasn't one of the wisest kings. He definitely wasn't one of the most morally upright. But even despite some of his failures, which were pretty big, God was interested in his heart. And David was known as a man who was after God's heart. And so when David in this psalm is praying for an undivided heart, you know, you've got to read it. We've got to read it alongside what else we know about David. And this, this guys, is a prayer prayed by a man who was marked out as somebody who was after wholeheartedly following the Lord. And so I'm just going to read that little bit again. It says, Teach me your way, Lord, that I may rely on your faithfulness. Give me an undivided heart, that I may fear your name. I will praise you, Lord my God, with all my heart. I will glorify your name forever. And, um, you know, there's so many things there, isn't there, that David could have prayed. But what I love about it, and the thing that stands out to me, is it's his desire. You know, he's praying. It's his desire that he would have an undivided heart. Some other translations say a united heart. And it's so that he might have this healthy fear of God and praise him forever. So thinking back to some of those things that perhaps divide your heart, is it your desire that your heart would be united? Is it your desire to give Jesus your heart wholeheartedly? So the first thing about David, we're going to look at some of the hallmarks here. The first thing about David is that David had an unshakable trust in God. He trusted God. And for those of you that have got that psalm in front of you, what you'll see, if you, if you start to perhaps have a little bit of a read around those verses, you'll see that David had this trust and assurance in who God was. And here's just some of the highlights from that psalm. Verse 2 says this, I trust in you. Verse 3 says, I call to you all day long. Verse 4 says, I lift my soul to you. Verse 5 says, you're forgiving and good. Verse 9 says, there is no one like you, God. Verse 10, you are great and do marvelous things. Verse 13, for great is your love towards me. You delivered me from death. Verse 15, you are compassionate, gracious, abounding in love and faithful. Verse 16, you, Lord, have helped me and comforted me. You know, those words, they're coming from a man who knew God, 
who, a man who had seen God, and he got it, and he didn't just know God from like the days when he was king, he knew God from the days when he was a boy. You know, from when he was just hanging out obediently with the sheep, and the Lord saved him. And he reflects on this when he's about to fight Goliath. In 1 Samuel, it says this. It says, The Lord who rescued me from the paw of the lion and the paw of the bear, he will rescue me from from the hand of this Philistine. And Saul says to David, Go, and the Lord be with you. And a bit earlier on in the Psalms, it says this. David is saying this of God. He says, I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you, I have no good thing. You know, David... He'd seen something of God. He, he knew who God was, and it brought about in him a sense of security. A sense of security. And um, the thing that I really want to get across tonight that I hope you understand is that actually the way we get an undivided heart, I don't think it actually starts with behaviors or trying to be better or striving for it. I'm not saying that behaviors aren't important, and we're going to get onto that, but they follow the undivided heart, it starts inside and it goes to the outside. It starts with the heart. It starts with our hearts responding to Jesus, to trusting him, and it brings this sense of security. And um, thinking about it, you know, all of us probably would all agree that we have this deep need, this, this deep need inside of us to feel secure. We're wanting security, and often we can look for it perhaps in relationships or, I don't know, financial security or stuff. But ultimately, the, secure, the true security that we need to find is only going to be found in Jesus. And I wanted to share, if that's okay, a couple of stories with you about people who I've seen a transformation in their life as they've seen Jesus and they've put their trust in him and that a security has come. There's this one lady that I wanted to tell you about, and she's the school cook uh, for the charity. And uh, she comes from like a really strong Hindu background. And um, three weeks before she met Jesus, she was um, in a really bad way. She was on the edge, and her husband, he didn't have a job, so financially it was a nightmare. Um, He was suicidal. He was getting drunk all the time and coming back and and physically abusing her and the children. And um, this lady, she knew that lots of people at this charity were Christians, And um, one day at her lowest point, she picked up the phone and she rang this lady. And uh, she was crying out and she said, would you come round and would you pray? And uh, this lady uh, who picked up the phone was, she happened to be in the market. She was nowhere near there, so she couldn't get round. And what I love about it is instead of saying, I'll be round in two hours or something, she just said, call out to Jesus for yourself, and, um, which was great. And so this lady, she does that. She calls out to Jesus for herself and instantly she meets him. So she meets Jesus, and uh, the next day sort of unravels, and, and, and her life just turns about. She ends up like um, her husband getting a job. Their marriage is better. She starts going to church. She starts praying for her friends. She starts telling them about Jesus, and she says that for her whole life, she's, she's um, taken sacrifices and prayed to these Hindu gods, and she prays to Jesus, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, one time, and he reaches out to her. It was amazing to hear. And the team, I didn't know her before, but the team said she never smiled. And now she just smiles all of the time. And for me, actually, the most moving moment of that whole sort of situation was actually when one of the team in that meeting asked the question. They were sort of saying, like, how do we find out about Jesus? And they were sort of looking for the answer in the Bible. And, um, 
they asked this question to this lady, and she just said, she looked a little bit confused, and she just said, I've seen him. I've met him. It's an amazing, amazing story. She just has met Jesus. The other story is this, this young lad in Trent Youth, and, um, and he had been coming along for ages, and um, you know, despite my constant um, enthusiastic banter, he never really seemed like he was loving it that much. And um, I know it's a surprise, isn't it? But, um, but anyway, he did keep coming, so he must have seen something about it. But at some point um, during the summer, he had an encounter with Jesus. He was on a camp, and he, met, and he met Jesus. And coming back this term, it has been such a privilege to see him going for it. There's a security in him. There's a security in who he is. And it's been amazing. And, um, and in youth, it might surprise you, but sometimes the young people have like a divided heart when it comes to like playing on my phone or worshipping the Lord. And uh, hopefully no one's got that now, playing on a phone, listening to the talk. But anyway, and, um, but he has totally changed. And what happens on a Sunday morning now is that the rest of the guys there, not the rest of them, but some of them are just engaged with their phones. And this lad just stands up alongside them, wholeheartedly going for it. The transformation in his life is amazing. Just to hear that story just then was amazing. You know, these guys, it strikes me, one in India, one here, 4,000 miles apart. But Jesus meeting people. That's Jesus. He can meet anybody here tonight, wherever you're at. And the thing that strikes me about it is that trusting Jesus and seeing him, I think they go hand in hand. To ruthlessly trust Jesus, we've got to see him more and more and more. Keep coming back to him. That's what strikes me about David. You know, he'd seen the Lord. He knew of his goodness. He'd seen him in the good times, and he'd seen him in the bad times. You know, when was the last time you saw Jesus? You know, maybe it was just now in worship. Maybe it was at some point during this week. Maybe for some of you, it's been ages. But for us to have this undivided heart, we've got to learn how to trust God. And that's the place it starts. Trusting God is where we start, and the other stuff flows out of it. So that's the first point. The second point is obedience. And um, David, he just absolutely loved God's law. And he's known for repeatedly just saying how much he loved it. Listen to this, Psalm 119, it says this. And he is just loving it, basically. It says, For I delight in your commands, because I love them. I lift up my hands to your commands, which I love, and I meditate on your decrees. And earlier on in that same psalm, he says this. He says, Blessed are those who keep his statutes and seek him with all their heart. They do nothing wrong. They walk in his ways. You know, David's heart was positioned towards wanting to obey God. And there was a joy in it. You know, there was a real joy that came in being obedient. And I don't know how you feel about obedience. You know, we live in a culture, don't we, where it's like, anything goes, do what you want, follow your dreams. And sometimes that obedience isn't necessarily like the most popular choice. But when it comes to God, ultimately, he knows best for us. He knows best. And so when he's asking us to be obedient to something that he wants, it's because he knows best. And um, I think obedience, when it comes to following the Lord, is a positive thing. You know, sometimes it can be super, super costly, but it is positive. And um, over the last few months, I've been on a little bit of an obedience uh, journey 
with, um, with exercise. And um, I'm not saying that I've like, totally nailed it, I've got it all sorted, but it's something that I felt like the Lord was speaking to me about. And so I guess I had a choice. Either I'd be like, yes, or no. And uh, it was kind of plain as that. But because I want to wholeheartedly follow the Lord, I got on board. And uh, so one of the things I've been doing is I've been going swimming loads. And um, some mornings I jump out of bed, the alarm clock goes off. And I wake up and I think, yes, I just cannot wait to go swimming today. What a joy. That's actually never happened. (laughs) And um, I mean, maybe it will one day, but... But the rest of the time, you know what? It's simple obedience. It means getting up when I'd rather be lying in bed. It means getting wet when I'm really happy with being dry. It means going to the pool when I'd rather be watching Home and Away. Great show, sorry. Don't judge me on that one, but anyway. But every time I go to the pool, I commit to doing a certain number of lengths. And sometimes I feel on fire, you know, sometimes I'm swimming and I feel like perhaps I could be in the Olympics, but other times it feels like I'm swimming through treacle. But you know what, it's always when I get about three quarters of the way that um, I I feel like giving up, like I get a bit um, uh, bored is actually the thing. You know, it's boring, isn't it, when you keep doing it? And that's when I'd say the obedience lengths come in. Those last 10 lengths, and it might sound like a funny illustration or analogy, I don't know, but actually for me, I found that in those obedience lengths, in those times when I felt like giving up, when I felt like just quitting, that a joy and a freedom comes. A joy and a freedom comes in the obedience. And when I'm swimming along, it's, it's like I sense the Lord's pleasure in the most profound way. And when I sort of thought about it, I thought, you know, throughout the course of my life, there's been other decisions that I've made where I felt like the Lord's been asking for my obedience. And when I've done it, and I've followed him wholeheartedly, it's in those moments where I've sensed the joy, and I've sensed the pleasure, and I've sensed the intimacy with God. You know, for all of us, there'll be different areas that the Lord is challenging us on. You know, maybe it's with your relationship with the Lord. Maybe it's with your family, or your spouse, or your children. Maybe it's about a risk that the Lord is wanting you to take. And whatever it is, I'd say go for it. You know, a hallmark of an undivided heart, whatever the Lord's asking, is to be obedient and go for it. So that's the second point. The third is thankfulness. And uh, you know what? There's nothing like a week in India to make you feel thankful. And um, the night I got home, I was just... um, jet lag, but I was delighted to be at home. And just before I was going to bed, I, um, I started texting my mate Jude. And I did that thing where I texted everything on an individual text just so it would like, clog up. And, um, and I said, you know, tonight I'm here and I'm thankful and grateful for the things that I've taken for granted for the last however many years. And I started listing things, and this was where the texting got a bit out of control. And I was like, I'm grateful for the silence just for no dogs barking or horns beeping. I'm grateful for my comfy bed, for my duvet, for the bedside table, for no flies in the room, for the toilet that you can actually sit on, for the blackout blind, for a curtain that would actually cover the window, for a bedroom door. We had like a curtain over there that was a bit awkward. You know, on and on and on. David was also extremely thankful. You know, just reading that psalm in full, you'll see that. You'll see the signs of an incredibly thankful heart. David was so grateful for all that God had done. And his life was, 
it, it wasn't always great. You know, he had seasons of peace and prosperity, but he also had seasons of despair. But he never forgot to thank the Lord. His heart was undividedly thankful. And he says this in Psalm 100. He says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him. Bless his name. And uh, if you weren't here the other week, Bodders, John Bodley did an amazing talk about thankfulness. And uh, if you weren't here and um, you haven't listened to that, I'd really, really encourage you to listen to that. I personally found it really, really challenging. So are we thankful? Are we thankful for all that Jesus has given us, for all that Jesus has done in our lives? That's the third point. The fourth one is a hallmark of an undivided heart is repentance. This is the last hallmark that we're going to look at. And, and for me, it's perhaps one of the most interesting. Because what I love about David is that he wasn't perfect. You know, he was so far from it. He was actually like an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer. And in fact, you know, there were other kings in the Old Testament who perhaps were more morally upright than him. But they never got the title of being somebody who was wholeheartedly following the Lord, a man after God's own heart. So the question I guess that leads me to is, how can somebody who's an adulterer, a liar, and a murderer be known as a man who is after God's heart? Well, I think one of those reasons is because his heart was repentant. His heart was soft. And acknowledging in verse 5 of that psalm, it says this, it says, You are forgiving and good, O Lord. You are abounding in love to all who call you. You know, David, he had like an awareness of his frailties before the Lord. And uh, in Psalm 51, you'll find the most beautiful prayer of repentance. If you've never read it, get it out later and have a read of it. Here's a few highlights. In in verse 1, it says this. It says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Verse 2 says this, Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from all my sin. Verse 10, Create in me a pure heart. O God, and renew a steadfast spirit in me. Verse 17 says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a a broken spirit, and a broken and contrite heart, O God, you will not despise. You know, David, he was fully repentant. He wasn't half-heartedly repentant. He was fully, fully repentant. And, And David, I think, is living proof that God was interested on what was going on in the heart more than he was what was going on outside. And it didn't mean that David didn't have to live with the consequences of his actions. You know, he did. But he knew the forgiveness of God, and it brought about a freedom. I don't know how you feel when you mess up. It's never a great feeling, is it? And, um, and for me, as a child, there would be some times where I wouldn't necessarily do the right thing. And uh, I'm one of four children, right? And um, having friends who've got kids, I've just got so much more respect for my parents now than ever before. It must have been a nightmare. And um, from time to time, I, started to, I would do things that displeased them. And um, the one that sort of stands out to me um, was this time when we were trying to um, create a video for You've Been Framed. Some of you are probably too young to know what that is, but it's where you get like 250 pounds, you film a funny video, and you get the money, and you always wonder, did they make it up? Did that actually happen? That kind of thing. And uh, anyway, so what we decided to do, looking back on it, bad decision, but anyway, what we decided to do was to film ourselves, um, to throw the mattresses out of the bedroom window, and film ourselves jumping out, and, um, and make it look like it was like, meant to happen. And uh, anyway, so we were like getting on board with it. We got this mega... like 
video camera that was so large back in the day. And um, we're just about to do it when my mum comes home. So she'd left us at home alone, and she comes home, and honestly, guys, she was mad. She put the end to any creativity or uh, activity. And um, she obviously wasn't really interested in that 250 pounds, was she? But we're trying to make her some money, but um, there we go. But she was probably right, I think, sort of looking back on it, probably wasn't the best idea, but that's just one example, a silly example. But you know, over the years, this dynamic would sort of happen that I'd do something, I'd say I'm sorry, my mum and dad would suitably sanction me in some sort of way, and then they'd extend a bit of grace. But um, as brilliant as my parents are, there's one thing they've never been able to do with that incident, and that is to let it go. <laughs> you know, I was even texting my mum yesterday saying, what's the most naughty thing I've ever done? And that was the first thing to come up. But the, um, the remarkable thing about God is that he's interested in our hearts, he's always ready for, to forgive, and with God, when it's done, it's done. He doesn't keep the record of the wrongs. It's amazing, amazing truth. And uh, as I was writing this, I just felt like there'd be some people here tonight, and actually, you've been following the Lord for, for ages, but there's some kind of um, stumbling block you've got. And I felt that the root of it was that some of, there's some, somebody here, or some people here, who just need to ask the Lord for forgiveness for something. And if that's you, in a minute, we'd love to pray for you. So the four hallmarks, I think, of an undivided heart is trusting in God. That's the first place. The other stuff flows out of that. Is obedience, thankfulness, repentance. And then we're about to finish here, but I want to end with a bit of a challenge because that phrase, undivided heart, it requires our attention. You know, it's challenging, isn't it? It's, this verse has been challenging me since the summer. It's really challenging. I want to wholeheartedly follow the Lord. I want more and more to have an undivided heart. I'm longing for it, but the thing is, is that it requires action. You know, you're probably not gonna wake up tomorrow morning and just have an undivided heart. Firstly, we've gotta desire it. We've gotta desire to have it. And secondly, if we want it, if you want it, we've gotta pursue it. So if you sort of think back to those things we thought about earlier when I asked the question, what divides your heart? What is it today? What action is it today that you need to take? What decision do you need to make to throw yourself in wholeheartedly? You know, maybe it's, as I just said, maybe it's even just asking for the desire for it. Maybe it's taking some steps to, choose God, to trust God. Maybe for the first time, maybe with the situation. Or perhaps for you it's not trust, maybe it's obedience. Maybe there's something that God has been like, ding, 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 please can you sort that out, please can you be obedient. Maybe tonight is the chance to make a decision to be obedient. Or perhaps it's thankfulness, you know, maybe you just got stuck in this season of repeated negativity and the Lord is challenging you to be thankful. Or maybe, as I just said, maybe it's to do with repentance. You know, whatever it is, my encouragement tonight is to let the response of our hearts be yes. Lord, I give it to you undividedly, wholeheartedly.